Good evening. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you, I love baptisms. <laughs> if there's one thing in the Christian experience that I treasure is watching baptisms, hearing people speak about the, the wonderful grace of Christ. It's just such a tremendous blessing to hear the stories of people give about their newfound faith in Christ. And I, I just want to open up with that just tonight and just say that we've heard from three individuals about what God has done for their soul tonight. What has he done? He has saved them. And as I said, one of the most edifying things is to hear the testimonies of people coming to love Christ, how God changes the, the human heart from following sin and rebellion and enmity against God to, toward him, a heart of love transpires, transforming grace. Uh, this baptism, I think for me, just as I reflect on it and think about it, is, is really special because here we are. Today is Palm Sunday, Easter is next week, and I mean the whole thing about baptism is that pictorial, that visual that Paul gives us in Romans about the, the death, burial, and, and resurrection where the, the baptism waters, the, the person goes into the water signifying the the death, and then into the burial, into the tomb, and then the resurrection to new life as the person comes out of the water. What a transforming picture. And not only that, but it's the Easter season, Resurrection Sunday, baptism, it's just a great thing. People be getting saved, and then along with that, where Terry's been, Pastor Terry's been speaking in Romans about the great gospel truths, the great gospel doctrines, such as, you know, man's inability to to come to Christ on his own, his place in sin, and how by trusting in Christ, he takes our sin, gives us his righteousness, and sees us as righteous as Christ. Just great, powerful doctrines that we've been learning, and then now there's baptisms. What I'd like to do tonight is spend some time in Psalm 66. I think Psalm 66 is a wonderful psalm for us to look at in light of tonight, and especially in verse 16. But I'll read the psalm, and then we can look at some of the truths that are found there. But in Psalm 66, beginning in verse 1, the writer says this, Shout joyfully to God, all the earth, and sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praise to you. They will sing praises to your name. Selah. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay, vow, pay you my vows 
which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke. When I was in distress, I shall offer you burnt offerings of fat beasts. With the smoke of rams, I will make an offering of bulls with male goats. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth. He was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainty, certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. And so if we look at this psalm, certainly this has been a, a great psalm to think about tonight as we've heard the testimonies of God's people as they've come to Christ. And as a, just a brief outline of this psalm, the first section we see here in this psalm is that all people are to call, are called upon to praise God. In verses 1 through 7, the first section, uh, all people are, call, are called to praise God for his great name and his sovereign rule and power over all nations. The second part of the psalm is found in verses 8 through 12 for his special grace and care for his people. In the third section that we uh, see that all people are called to praise God is in what I want to focus on really tonight is found in verses 13 through 20. The psalmist praises God for his own experiences of God's goodness to him in particular. So in the light of tonight's events, especially in verse 16, he says, come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. The reason I, I chose this text is, the, is the, um, like, like many of the Psalms, the, the Psalm writers, uh, oftentimes when you, you read the Psalms, you know, they begin with, oh God, why have you forsaken me? And oh God, why have you done this? And I, I'm down and downtrodden, and then... You know, Psalm of Asaph, where he says, oh, the, the wicked are always prospering. I mean, look at this world. It's, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm trying to do right, and, and here we are. But yet, if you notice in the Psalms, oftentimes when they begin like that, the psalmist, by the time the end of the psalm comes, he's praising God. You know, God has, has revealed something about himself, and uh, the, the psalmist is, is and rejoicing by the end. And so, in this psalm, we really don't see that, but... And the reason why I, I chose it is because, as many of the Psalms, they drive us to think hard about God, the goodness of God, the blessings of God, the praise of God, and how we are to praise him for the many things he has done and does for us. It is to make us think and praise God for what he has done in the salvation of his people. But notice the word here in verses 4, 7, and 15, this word, Selah. It means to break. Take a pause. You know, we could say it this way. Take a, take a break. Think about this for a few moments. You know, and I think if there's, if there's one thing in our culture that's missing, it's just taking this time to just be still. To be still, think about the things of God, and reflect on him. And I think it's something that we should really take stock in and do on a regular basis, is to think, take a break, and think about the great things that God does and is doing. I also want to draw your attention in this psalm to the uh, imperative verbs in the opening verses because it really is key for the rest of the psalm. If you look at verse 1, the psalmist says, Shout joyfully. 
In verse 2, he says, sing. Verse 3, say or speak, talk. Verse 5, come and see. These are commands. These are not suggestions, you know, hey, come away, let's go grab a coffee somewhere. No, it's, these are commands of God that the saints are to be doing. And as you read through the psalm, you'll see why, why we are to do this. Verses 1 through 4, uh, again, they break with Selah, meaning reflect. It speaks of God's name, his works, and his perfections. If you just scan down through there, I'm not going to unpack every word and every verse tonight because of time. And then in verses 4 through 7, again, we have to break for a pause. These verses speak of God's sovereign power over nature and the nations. Verse 6 places focus on Israel's exodus redemption experience and the destruction of the Egyptian army. Verses 8 through 15 places the focus on good that God does for his people in his electing, forgiving, saving, and keeping grace. In verse 66, 9, he says, he, he who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip speaks of the security we find in God. But I want to look at verse 16 for a second, and I want to present the second part of verse 16, not as a statement, but as a question, a question for all of us to ask ourselves individually, often, on a daily basis. It would go like this. What has he done for my soul? What has he done? You know, it, it doesn't take long for me to get out of bed in the morning and to see well, I'm kind of a news, kind of a news addict, you know, <laughs> news junkie, I guess. I don't know. I have the app on my phone. I'm always looking at the news. But wait, it doesn't take long. Your feet to hit the floor, and there's just so much turmoil, right? So much bad news. So much corruption. It's in the government. It's in the workplace. It's everywhere you go and everywhere you look, and it's easy. I'll speak for me, but. Sometimes it's easy. I, I can be like a glass half empty kind of person at times. And it's easy for me uh, to, to, to go there and say, man, you know, this world, what a mess. And just focus on that. But I, I have to ask myself the question, what good thing has God done for my soul? Now, we've heard that tonight through the people who have been baptized. And so after you ask the question, think. Think what God has done. If you are a Christian, there is much God has done and will do and continue to do as you walk in Christ by his grace. Say and sing with the psalmist in verse 5. Come and see. 66.9. He who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. Again, speaking of security. Come and hear all who fear, and I will tell you of what he has done for my soul. These, uh, these folks tonight have done just a great job of, of really filling in uh, how God has, has taken people from different places, different walks of life, different times, and brought it all together. As Terry said, you know, the story is really always the same, but yet it's always different. The details and the particulars and how people were brought together to hear the gospel, the wonderful gospel of Christ. So I want to ask you tonight 
if you are not one of these, one of those who have trusted Christ and put your faith in his saving work, if you're not on board with the psalmist here, you can't, you don't know this, you don't experience this, you don't understand the realities of Jesus Christ. You know, I, as I was looking through the, the psalm here, I, I noticed in verse 5, he says, come and see what God has done. He, he is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. And he says in verse 6, he has turned the sea into dry land. They pass through the river on foot. This pushes us back to the Exodus experience of Israel, where they were in bondage to Pharaoh, severe bondage, brutality even. And yet God heard the cries of the Israelites and rescued him from Pharaoh, brought them through the Red Sea, probably about two and a half million people. That's a lot of people. On dry land. That's, a, that's an important point in the scriptures. It was dry. That's the power of God, right? Over the nations, over, world, over the world to save his people. A redemption took place. And so it is with these people tonight and the psalmist. The same thing, same experience, redeemed. Right? Same picture. We have been redeemed from a Pharaoh-like system. Sinfulness, oppression, dark days. God rescues us, takes us out of darkness and puts us into his light. So I want to ask you tonight, you're sitting here watching this baptism. Have you trusted him the same way these people have trusted him? Him alone for forgiveness and eternal life? When your heart stops, and it will, and you step into eternity, will you meet God as your Savior? Or will you meet him as your judge? There's only two options here. You see, the problem is that the Bible declares that all are sinful. God is holy. He cannot look on sin, will not sin, will not look on sin, will not have it in his heaven. So there's a problem. All are sinful. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, that's the standard for God to allow anybody into his heaven is that you have to measure up to the glory of God, the perfections of God. Romans 3.10 says this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Again, that's the standard. The consequences of sin is death. Romans 5.12 says that just as sin came into the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not of works. It's not coming to church. It's not being raised in a Christian family. None of that. It's simply by faith. Romans 1, 12, 21 again says, For although they, knew, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what's the solution? If you're here today and you don't know Christ and 
man, how do I, how do I get into heaven? You know, is, is the standard is high. It's God himself is the standard that you have to meet. Well, God has given us a solution. The solution to the sin problem, your sin problem, is Jesus Christ, simply. Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, uh, a religious leader comes to Jesus by night and asks him some questions about eternal life and asks him, how, how, can I, how can I be saved? How can I know that I can be in heaven? How can I know I'm right with God? And so Jesus says this in his discourse with Nicodemus, whoever believes in him will have eternal life, talking about Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. See, the consequences of sin is not only physical death, but it's also eternal wrath. Eternal death, eternal wrath. In verse 18, he says, Jesus goes on, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John, again, he goes on in the gospel. In verse 35, he says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And notice the wording here of Jesus. He doesn't say, he who believes in the Son, well, you know, someday... I'll see, I'll, I'll maybe, you know, he'll have eternal life. Or he'll have it now, but then he's going to lose it. Um, and I, was, I was raised in a, in a religious, religious uh, upbringing that, you know, I went through life being taught that, well, you just never know. You only know when you, when you die, you stand before God, and the, and the scales will tip, and if they tip in your favor, you know, sin on one side and good works on another, and if the scales tip in your favor, then God will let you into his heaven. Well, that's not what Jesus says here. He says that he who believes in the Son has eternal life. This is a, a rock-solid guarantee from God himself. Has eternal life. It's a possession that will not fade away. So he says, again, he goes on, and he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 49 and 50, talking about the end of the age, he says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a, what a dismal ending for a life. I want to read from you a, a couple of excerpts from a, a classic sermon of years gone by in 1741 on July 8th. 
the preacher Jonathan Edwards, preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards, preached a sermon titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And in that sermon, parts of it, he, he paints a graphic picture of the consequences of your sin if you are not a Christian. And I'll read that for you. Quote, your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead. And to rend you downward with great weight and pressure toward hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and your contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to hold to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much in the same way as one holds a spider or a loathsome insect over a fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. There is no other reason to be given his mercy, yea, no other reason can be given why you do not this very moment drop down into hell. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. Pretty heavy words there for those who don't know Christ. You know, the scriptures I read, they're not my words. I'm just, I'm just delivering the goods, you know. Um, so what should your response be tonight? Do these things, things kind of maybe prick your conscience, you're thinking a little bit, my doom is sure if I don't know Christ? Well, there is a remedy. There is. All that bad news, <laughs> it's time for some good news, right? Simply this, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes to us, he says, that if you confess with your mouth Lord, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. I love this verse. Um, simple confession. You know, God, I am sinful. I need a savior. I need forgiveness. I'm right. I'm wrong before you. I need to be made right. But if you look in this verse here, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. That's the guarantee. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Righteousness. We are not righteous on our own. But when you confess Christ and you do these things as the writer says, God makes us righteous. As righteous as he is, because he transferred our unrighteousness onto his son at the cross, and he places his righteousness on us, and then welcomes us into his family. What a transaction. What a transaction. The assurance here, in verse 13, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. And the result? Wait, there's more. The result in Romans 8.1, now there is no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he, later on in the chapter, in verses 38 and 39, Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I would say to you tonight, if you don't know this Savior, this, this great Savior, Jesus Christ, just simply turn to him. Turn to him from your sin. Ask him to forgive you and save you, and he will. So that ends my, my, my speech, my talk tonight. And if you would like to talk about this more, you're not sure, maybe you've been coming to the church for, for years. You know, maybe, maybe you're a young one who is growing up in a Christian home. Your parents are uh, believers. And, man, you're just simply not sure. Or you're older. You're here, you've been coming here for a long time, and you don't know. Or... Maybe this is your first time here tonight and you'd like more information. Please come, talk to me, Randy, Terry. Uh, there's lots of people around that could help you uh, navigate through this great doctrine of salvation. So come and see the great things that God has done. Amen? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this night where you have uh, brought it together. You have, you have ordained the Lord's day for your time, for your saints to come and to speak of the wondrous and wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this day. We thank you for tonight. We pray that you would bless those who obeyed you by being baptized, professed their faith in you. We thank you for their testimony. What a great, great encouragement to hear how you have changed hearts for your kingdom. And by your magnificent saving grace, we pray that you bless them, keep them, help them to grow in their faith as they walk through life hand in hand with you. We ask this in Jesus' name for his sake and glory. Amen.